I'm getting picky in my old age. <laughs> and I don't need this, right? Okay. You need the pen, do you? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not that short. Nor that tall. Cool. Thank you. Well, hello, everybody. It's a huge joy to be back with you. I really thank God for, for the privilege of coming, of coming back. When Jamel first uh, reached out, um, I immediately knew I wanted to pray about it, but I had no idea if the Lord would work it out to come. So this is a huge treat for me. Um, some of you would remember Lynn and I were here almost two years ago for our 20th anniversary. And just we just stopped by one Sunday, I think it, I think it was. Um, so anyways, huge joy to be here. Okay, Mark chapter 10, if you would. Mark chapter 10. This is actually why it's a huge joy to be here. Um, I'll start this way. Um, I've never been more excited in all my life to follow the Lord. And I've never been, it's not just enthusiasm, by the way. I'm going to describe why um, over the course of the weekend. But I've never been more hopeful than I am today, never been more excited to follow a Savior like Jesus Christ, never enjoyed the Lord more. And literally every weekend, every single weekend, the Lord is granting his people, and I mean Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ireland, um, all over North America, every single weekend the Lord is granting his people repentance and individual revival. So it's not the kind of revival yet that, that you write books about. Um, but, but even later tonight, you're going to hear, um, from Dan Williams, my best friend, he's been my lifelong best friend and the Lord radically revived him one year ago. In fact, it's one year ago yesterday, right? Yeah. Which is just awesome. He's a changed man and he'll never be the same. And so that's why I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm just going to be open. <laughs> like, why would I not be open? Oh, I love you guys. And, and I look out, I see your faces and I just think, yes, right? The, Jesus Christ is so beautiful. He's so wonderful. He has handfuls of blessing for the people, uh, in this assembly this weekend and, and every weekend, like what an incredible privilege this is. Every weekend I watch him ministering to people and changing people's lives. Last week at the North American Week of Prayer, um, very mature, solid people would say that that was the best week of their life. And, and I just think, are you serious? And like, like four or five people that I've heard now from last week said that was the best week of my life. One guy, he's a full-time worker and an elder in his assembly. He called his wife partway through the week and, and he said, babe, I feel like I just got saved again. And the thing is he did, but it's present tense salvation, not past tense salvation. He got saved from distance. He got saved from complacency. He got saved from lukewarmness. He got saved from the normal American Christian life. And so I'm excited to be here. Like personally, uh, I mean, I love being here. I would come just to sit on a beach with you all and eat your food. <laughs> but, but, um, but man, uh, we have infinitely beautiful, eternal reasons to be excited this weekend. Jesus Christ is here. Do we believe that? Yeah, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and he already knows what needs to be accomplished this weekend. Do we believe that? Yeah, I love that. I stand in awe of the skill of the Savior, that, that he knows exactly how to reach you. He knows exactly how to minister to you. He knows what is stumbling you. The things that you don't see, he sees. And he has such handfuls of blessing to pour into your lives. So I, almost every time I preach, right, you read the text, you pray, you preach, you 
pray. Um, but I just want to pray, if we could, and then and then we'll read the text. Let's just bow in the presence of this awesome Savior. Let's just bow. Lord, we just want to say that we love you. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. You're awesome. Someday, Lord, someday, it's going to be like a blink. Someday, we're going to do this face to face. We're going to bow our foreheads to the, to the floor in heaven. We're going to raise empty hands in worship and praise and adoration of a worthy Savior for all of eternity. We're going to love you in your presence. Lord, it is no different. This was a radical change in my life, and it was a gift of God. And I thank you. I praise you for that. It is no different now. You are here with us. I know someday we will see you face to face and we delight in that truth, but you are here. Lord, please don't let us live like you're not here. Please don't let us sit through the meeting tonight like you're not here. It is just as real tonight as it will be in a hundred years for every believer in this room. It's just not as tangible. It's, we don't see you with our physical eyes. Lord Jesus, ah, We bow in the presence of majesty. We bow in the presence of the God who dwells in unapproachable light. Which one of us would think about about approaching the sun at the center of our solar system? How close would we get to the sun before we were obliterated? And what a pitiful comparison. The power of our sun compared to the power of the son of God. And yet here we are. We, We bow in your presence because you are so worthy. It is such a privilege and a joy just to say that we love you. Lord, I have, I have no power. I have no ability to minister to the people this weekend the way that they desperately need it. No ability to grasp the heart of young people and convince them that Jesus Christ really is the greatest thing that's ever happened to them. And to let anything supersede your relationship with him is crazy. Lord, the, what has to be done this weekend can only be done by you. And so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would have free reign. We pray that tonight would be a beautiful start to a weekend of of the living God powerfully dealing with his people. Lord, I, I want the whole church. You know that. You hear my voice all the time. But what I see you doing so regularly is calling individuals. I see it every weekend, Lord, and it's an utter delight to my heart. The woman that is just crying out. In confessing her sin in Ottawa, Canada, the man that is crying out and confessing his sin in Georgia, the radical change that you brought to people in Scotland. Lord, you are ministering so wonderfully, so powerfully, so eternity changingly in people's lives. And we just pray that you would do it again. It is amazing to watch the hand of God move in our day. It is such a privilege. It is such a joy. Lord, please help us as we read the word of God, as we expound the word of God, as we pray and seek our God this weekend. Lord, we pray that you would change change lives. And we're not asking for a great weekend. Uh, we're not asking, certainly not asking for an emotional weekend. Not asking for a mountaintop experience. Lord, we're asking that, that the spirit of God would sanctify, radically sanctify and change. The way the apostle Paul said it, to be strengthened with might in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Lord, we pray that you would change people the way that only you can. It's you who work in us to will and to do. And so we look to you tonight so joyfully, so expectantly, 
Lord, whatever you know in your mind and heart this weekend needs to be, that's what we pray it will be. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, Mark chapter 10. Verse 46. It says, Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So if you want to jot down a title, uh, if you're taking notes, just jot down the blind Bartimaeus story. Really, that's what we're going to look at. Not very creative title, I know. But the blind Bartimaeus story. And what I really want you to notice is this is a man that had a passion for the presence of Jesus Christ. And so really, we're going to look at this story from that context. By the way, the Greek, I mean, all of it, it bears this out beautifully. This is a man who wasn't going to let anything stand in his way, right? Face-to-face time with Jesus Christ. He saw his opportunity. He was smart, right? He valued his opportunity. He didn't let anything stand in his way. And he passionately got to Jesus Christ. So that's that's actually point number one in the outline is that he shows desire. I have three simple observations and then application for the story tonight. Three observations. Point four is application. Point one, he had desire. He had he had passion. So at the beginning of a weekend together, sitting at the Lord's feet, um, I know his will is to change us if we'll submit to that. He'll radically change many lives this weekend. He'll eternally, permanently change lives this weekend if we'll submit to him. Um, Yeah, I know that that's his will. And so the first thing to notice for this weekend is this guy had a passion for Christ. In the Greek, uh, in verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say. In the Greek, that's he began to keep on crying out. And so over and over and over again, he began to keep on crying out. He wasn't going to let anything stand in the way between him and the opportunity to get to the Son of God. Now, let me ask you a question. On behalf of the Savior who died on the cross for you, on behalf of the Savior who's the focal point of heaven, the one that angels worship, right? The greatest thing that's ever happened to any one of us in this room. On behalf of him, I just have a very simple question. Does your life show that you have a passion to get face to face with Jesus Christ? And what I mean by that, of course, is not a passion to go into eternity and go to heaven. I mean, do you have a passion for your prayer closet, you could say? Do you have a passion for 
the time where, where you love him and he loves you. It wasn't that long ago in my life that I had, to my recollection, I mean, I probably overflowed in worship, like from studying the word of God. That probably happened occasionally. Honestly, I don't remember that, that ever happening. Basically, I think it's fair to say I had no personal worship life with the Lord Jesus. I certainly had no prayer closet. I, I think it's fair to say every friend, every friend that I have, every close friend that I have would stand up here. Most of them are preachers. They would stand up here and they would say, we were, we were good in our studies. We were horrible in our prayer closets. Almost every one of them would say the same thing. My friend who's about to finish his Old Testament commentary, he would stand up here. He stood at the North American Week of Prayer a couple of years ago. And, and he said, I've only learned to pray in the last two years. So good in their studies, horrible in their prayer closets. Ravenhill used to say, what a man is on his knees is what a man truly is. There was another guy that we invited to come along this weekend, and I was really hopeful that, that, he, could, that he could be here. Um, he would stand up here, and he would say his prayer life basically showed that he didn't love the Lord. Think, think, about, think about your life. Think about the people you love. How do you express that? Well, one really obvious, simple way is you spend time with them, right? So what was I passionate about? Like I met you guys, what, I don't remember, 10 years ago? You know, something like that. What was I passionate about? Service. I repented of worldliness and hypocrisy and oh, I'm so thankful for the grace of God that granted me repentance. So thankful. I set my face like a flint to serve God as a 15-year-old. In my honest testimony, I would never say in a million years that I did a good job right? That's Jesus Christ's job. And I'm saying this fearfully and trembling. That's his job to decide if I did a good job or not. I would never say that. But honestly, I can say with a completely clear conscience that I passionately served God. That's what I've done with my life. I have passionately served God, even to the point of the idolatry of ministry. Like what was number one in my life when I met all of you? It was service. That was number one in my life. And my life clearly bears that, bears that out. I used to ask the Lord, why so much failure? Have you ever asked the Lord that? Why so much failure? Like if I'm living this life correctly, then why do I fail so much? Why am I finding it so hard to be patient with the one person in the world that I love more than anybody else in the world? It's because it's because the idolatry of ministry in my life. If you have ears to hear it, if you're willing to ask the Lord to show you this weekend, I almost guarantee you the vast majority of you, he'll show you your idols. And he'll give you an opportunity to tear them down and smash them and be rid of them and be set free to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So when I met all of you, I was passionate about service. But that's, that's, my dad was passionate about business. So what's better, one idol or another idol? Is it better to be passionate about service than to run drugs between Florida and Cuba? Yes. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, like I'm glad. I mean, I know that you could compare them. But really, look, this is simple testimony. My dad's perfect now, and I love the guy. I'd never have wanted a different father. Um, his idol was business. And I felt the pain of that idol when I was a little boy. Dad, do you want to? And his answer would be maybe later, which I very quickly learned meant never, right? His idol was business. I swore I would never hurt my kids through, through that kind of idolatry. 
And then I grew up and I became almost just like him, right? Workaholic in business. I was a workaholic in ministry. And it's to the point of idolatry. Now, we're going to talk about this all weekend long. Am I arguing for lazy Christians? No, of course not. We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning, right? The scripture says, be steadfast and movable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Of course, right? I'm not arguing for laziness. I'm arguing for work that comes out of intimacy. And my work did not, right? Why the failure? It's because I wasn't living the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived. Galatians, it's simple. Walk in the spirit and what? It's a promise from God. It's a beautiful promise. It's the way the Christian life is supposed to be lived. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah. What are you passionate about? What does your prayer closet show that you're passionate about? Does your life honestly show a passion for Christ? I love this character, right? Blind Bartimaeus. He showed a passion for Christ. If you're taking notes, I see some of you taking notes. If you are, would you please jot down this little phrase? If you're not, just please remember this, right? For the glory of Jesus Christ. It's just a simple little phrase. Seeking leads to blessing. You can see that all through the scriptures. And we see it in this story so beautifully. Seeking leads to blessing. Did blind Bartimaeus end up blessed in this story? Yeah, he ended up with two blessings. The most obvious one is the lesser blessing, right? Blind Bartimaeus ended up with sight because he had a passion to get face to face with Jesus Christ. And then if you'll notice the last little phrase, it says immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So we don't know everything about blind Bartimaeus, of course, but literally he became a follower of Christ physically, literally physically became a follower of Christ. What's the bigger blessing? Eyes? Or being a follower of Christ. He had a passion for Christ. Seeking leads to blessing. Um, He says so many beautiful things. Son of David. Two times he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is one of the things I'm praying for this weekend. Um, What does mercy imply? Right? You guys know all these things. Grace. Right, Grace is God giving a free gift, Right, God's riches at Christ's expense. What is mercy? Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. What is mercy? Not giving you what you do deserve. So mercy implies that we're rotten sinners, right? And so when he says son of David, by the way, that's a messianic title. The blind guy could see clearly. That's a really important point in the text. The blind guy could see very clearly. The blind guy is really smart. Didn't let anything stand between him and Christ. Right, He kept calling out over and over again. So son of David, that's a messianic title, Rabboni. When he gets his chance, Rabboni. That means my great one. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's beautiful. My great one. Right? I just wonder if Christ showed up right now, if, if that's what I would say. You just fall down and just say, my great one. By the way, if you basically have no, no prayer closet, I mean... Oh, that's where that's where you taste eternity. That's where that's where you do sit in the presence of Jesus Christ, and and His His love just shines on you. He pours His love out on you. We're going to talk about this on Sunday, Lord willing. The scriptural commands to be in that place where He where He loves you, and you just sit there and you say things like, "Oh, my great one," right? And you just you get to know Him. You sit and you learn from Him. I call it the school of prayer. He teaches you so much in a prayer closet. 
oh, I kick myself for being so stupid. The greatest mistake of my life would be to not have put Jesus Christ in his proper place of preeminence. Service took precedence over Christ. Yeah. So, son of David, Rabboni, have mercy on me. And I just want to make one little simple point from, from that phrase. Um, and that's this. We must, this, in fact, I'm offering this as a prayer request. We must get to the place where we recognize that what we call the normal Christian life, the scripture defines it as evil. Like the things that I'm talking about this weekend, the things that he's going to be talking about this weekend, the normal Christian American life where we allow, really it's idolatry, we allow things to take precedence over intimacy with Christ. It's really just over Christ. When we allow that, the scripture calls that evil. Jeremiah chapter 2 is a a great example. We just call it normal. We must get to the place, because of God's grace, because of the prayer of Ephesians 1, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. We must get to the place where we recognize that what we call normal, God calls evil. And then that's where he brings us to the place where we repent. Like that's why the woman in Ottawa, Canada, she came, she came after a meeting and she said, I brought a friend so that it would be appropriate. Could we please pray? And we sat down in the first place we could find and she just went right to her knees and she's just wailing before God confessing sin. Do you want to know what sin she's confessing? That she doesn't love the Lord her God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength and that she can't go on anymore without Christ being number one in her life. Georgia, the same thing, right? A man stands up. This is a fully grown man in the assembly. He stands up after a meeting and he's wailing in front of the people of God. I don't know if that happens every week here, right? But but that's, I mean, that's humiliating to say the least. He stands up in front of all of the people and he says, I can't go on any longer. You want to know what sin he confesses? That he doesn't love the Lord of God with all his heart. I love this process that I see the Lord doing. He's He's opening people's eyes to the idolatry of what we call the normal American Christian life. So when this guy says, son of David, have mercy on me, he's confessing, I do not deserve face-to-face time with you. I am unworthy, right? But in that unworthiness, he wasn't going to let anything stand in his way. So point of application for point number one is this. Are you chasing Christ? Are you chasing Christ? Are you like this? Are you smart enough to be like the blind guy? Or do you see well enough that you get distracted by so many things? We'd be so much better off if we were blind. You know, that's what my health is like, by the way. It's that which sets me free to walk with God. It's so opposite of the way the world thinks about it. Right? The blind guy saw clearly. My health, it set me free to walk with God. It's the greatest gift God ever gave me. It's the living out of what happened to me when I was five years old and I got saved. The whole point of getting saved is reconciliation to God, right? Now I live that way. I walk with God every day. I talk with him every day. In fact, literally every day it blows my mind. That's no exaggeration. Every day I start talking to him. And then when he starts responding right through the word of God, through prayer, through circumstances, through the church, right? He speaks so clearly. God, er, sorry, that's a faux pas. William McDonald has a great book called God Still Speaks, right? Where he talks about example after example after example of the Lord speaking. So that's what I'm describing, right? I start talking to him and then he starts responding. And when he starts responding, every single day it blows my mind. It's like, oh, I just can't believe this. I have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. It blows my mind every day. 
So are you chasing Christ or are you treating him like a life sentence? Right? Good Christians, they read their Bible every day. Okay, done. Boom, move on to what I really am chasing. Okay, good Christians, they pray, right? These are the things I pray for. Boom, 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 boom. Amen. Man, you can read your Bible every day and not be passionate about Christ, the person of Christ. Amen? You can pray every day and not have intimacy with Christ. In fact, most Christians in America are doing it. Yeah. Are you chasing Christ or are you treating him like a life sentence? Okay, point number two in the outline. He had persistence. So not only did he have passion or desire, he had persistence. Let's read verse 48. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So if you do the exposition here, and if you go through this, you recognize that it's the same in the Greek as the first phrase that I highlighted. So, so here, it's they kept rebuking him repeatedly. So he keeps calling out, right? He begins to keep on calling out. And then they kept rebuking repeatedly. And, and the point is, um, if you're not determined to get to Christ, you won't make it. In fact, that's another thing I would encourage you to write down because it's so essential. If you're not determined to get to Christ, you won't make it. The world will prevent you from intimacy with Christ. The devil will prevent you in any way possible, the devil and his minions, from intimacy with Christ. Your flesh, the normal American Christian life, our toys, the way we order our lives in a normal way without even thinking, right? will prevent you from having the relationship with Jesus Christ that the living God wants with you, that Jesus Christ wants with you. If you're not determined, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures is from Hebrews, that he's a rewarder of them that, what? Yeah, diligently seek him. Steve Price stood up, and I know he wouldn't mind me saying this. The Lord, It's funny, the Lord is teaching the same lessons to everybody. Steve Price stood up um, in front of an assembly and he said this. He said, somehow in my foolishness, I changed that to he's a rewarder of them that diligently serve him, right? It's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It doesn't say it's a re- he's a rewarder of them that have a great weekend. Uh, he's a rewarder of them that zealously start to chase. No, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Man, that's so important. Are you willing to seek the Lord? I was up in Ottawa, Canada. Um, sorry, it was actually Kingston, Ontario, not long ago. And, and I spoke for the weekend. And I was talking with a great friend and, and, and his wife. Um, and they kept saying, well, how, well, how, well, how? And I kept being reluctant to say too many specifics, right? I kept praying with them, thinking with them. And finally, they just said, I think it's going to require time. Like, I think it's going to require time. And finally, by the end of my time with them, I, I just said, yeah, you're right. It's going to require time. All right? What does a marriage require? Time. Like a good marriage. Not just a legal document that you're married, but actually a good marriage. Time. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, notice verse number 50. It says, and throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So, so, um, he began or they kept rebuking him repeatedly. So there were obstacles between him and Christ. And then he responds. If you look into this, it's really beautiful. It's, it's the idea that he sprang up, right? He rose. So he sprang up. He cast aside his garment, 
and he came to Jesus. So, so this is, this is an, an awesome question because I've seen the Lord use this so many times in people's lives. And so please, if you're taking notes, write this down. In our prayer time after this session, I'm offering this as a prayer request. By the way, and I'll say it now, it's perfectly appropriate. If the Spirit of God taps you on the shoulder and shows you, it's perfectly appropriate to confess these types of things. Right? So here's the question. What is your garment? And what I'm saying is the blind beggar, right? How many garments do you think the blind beggar owned? And and we're I know we're guessing, right? Because the scripture doesn't say. But I think it's fair to guess that he didn't have like a walk-in closet of of garments, right? Or perhaps he would have sold them instead of begging. And so he takes his outer garment, he casts it aside because it would have been a hindrance in the journey to Christ. And so I'm asking, and he's going to talk about this in the next hour in his life. I'm asking, what is it in your life that is keeping you from face-to-face time with Jesus Christ? Will you ask the Lord that tonight? Just say, Lord, by your spirit, would you please show me what is it in my life? Like, I guarantee you, it looks radically life different in your life than it does in your life, right? Like a father's life is very different than a mother's life. So you have to ask, just for me, Lord, show me, what is it that's keeping me from intimacy with Christ, from face-to-face time with the Lord Jesus Christ? I was in New York last fall, and um, a teenage boy um, in a really neat family he stood up after the meeting and his dad caught his eye and he looked like he was about to burst into tears. And I, I so admired this. His dad, he, he said, okay, come on, son, let's take a walk. And, and they, they took a walk and, and three steps out the door, he, he looked at his dad. He said, dad, I know what my garment is. That's beautiful when the Lord shows you what your garment is, right? What is it that's keeping you from Christ? Yeah, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord with a heart to, to let him deal with it. Um, application for point number two, hate anything that keeps you from Christ. So my point of application for point number two, hate anything that keeps you from Christ. It is your enemy. It doesn't have to be inherently evil. It can be an Xbox. If the Xbox keeps you from Christ, from intimacy with Christ, from a life of fruitfulness, you should hate it. If that's what it is. If it's a TV, you should hate it. If it's sports, you should hate it. If it's a love of money, you should hate it. Whatever the Lord shows you, some hobby, if it keeps you from intimacy with Christ, oh, you should hate it. Like the scripture clearly backs this up. We're even supposed to hate father and mother and brother and sister compared to our love for Christ, right? Remember the name Evan Roberts? Does anybody remember that? He was greatly used of God in the Welsh revival. They saw 100,000 people swept into the family of God in Wales in six months, right? The Lord gave Evan Roberts a simple message, like incredibly simple. Um, he was he was called in the newspapers the poorest preacher in Europe. Um, they mocked him for being such a public, such a poor public preacher. And they said, why would anybody ever come listen to this guy? You know, the Lord gave him a simple four point message um, and, and they wouldn't even let him give it to the, the whole group. So they started him out with a youth group. Right. He said, I have a message from God. They said, you can give it to the young people. Right. And then it had such an effect on the young people that they said, oh, you got to share this with everybody. And then it just boom, boom, boom. Right. A hundred thousand people in a tiny little country of Wales in six months like this was an incredible move of God. This is the four point outline. Confess all known sin. And then this is my point for right here. Remove every doubtful thing. That was point two. 
If there's something doubtful in your life, it's got to go. Now, be prayerful about it, right? I'm not encouraging youthful, sporadic zeal. Be prayerful about it. Be thoughtful about it. But if there's doubtful things in your life, man, fill your life up with things that are not doubtful. Right? The things, the hindrances, not only does sin have to go, but anything that hinders you in running the race. So confess all known sin, remove every doubtful thing from your life. Point number three, commit to being immediately responsive to every impulse of the Holy Spirit. That was his point number three. Commit to being immediately responsive to every impulse of the Holy Spirit. And then number four, publicly confess Christ. That was his four-point outline that God gave him. And then he used it in an incredible way that I've never seen in my, in my lifetime. So what I'm zeroing in on is point number two, doubtful things. Hate anything that keeps you from Christ, it's your enemy. Okay, point number three. Point number three in the, in the outline. He had the right target. He had the right target. Let's read it. Verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer. He is calling you and throwing aside his garment. He rose and came to Jesus. So he was focused on Christ. That's so simple, right? So simple. So how did I get it wrong? I repented of worldliness, hypocrisy. I set my face like a flint to serve God. How did I get it wrong? I didn't know I was getting it wrong. But I did. How did I get it wrong? The Lord showed me this um, a year year or two ago. I don't remember. Um, he showed it from Philippians 3 and Ephesians 3. And it was so sober, this thought that the Lord showed me, that I just kept it between me and the Lord for months Right. And then finally, I, I opened my mouth. And this is what the Lord showed me from those two passages that most Christians live their Christian life and miss Christ. Now, I want to be as clear as I can possibly be. Am I saying that they miss heaven? No, of course not. Am I saying they lose their salvation? No, of course not. Those would be unbiblical statements, right? What I'm saying is in the context of John 15, Philippians 3, Ephesians 3, Revelation 3, in the context of the living relationship with Jesus Christ, most North American Christians, they live their Christian life and they totally miss intimacy with Christ. He's kind of the whole point of the Christian life, right? I mean, he's how you get into the Christian life. Like no Christian gets into the Christian life any other way except for him, right? He's the goal of the Christian life, right? He's what we're driving at in eternity. If you're not much interested in Christ, you're not going to be much interested in heaven. He's kind of the whole point of heaven. And then all of a sudden, one day the Lord made me sick or allowed me to be sick, excuse me. He made me sit down and, and all of a sudden he showed me, right? That Christ is the substance of, of everything now, right? He's what makes the Christian life worth living now. And so he had the right target. He, he was passionate about getting to Christ. And so point of application, don't miss Christ. Don't miss Christ. And I would offer this as a prayer request too. Let me just read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read you. This is the way the Apostle Paul would pray for God's people. Like you can tell in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, you can see his mind. And he was thinking 
There's a lack of intimacy between the Ephesian Christians and Jesus Christ. And so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go down a little bit, that to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So in Philippians, he says, my passion is to experientially know Christ. In Ephesians, he says, you need that too. And so I'm going to pray for that for you. And we're just seeing that in pictorial form. He had a passion to get to Christ. So with the time, the time that we have left, um, I, have, I have four things that I want to highlight from the word of God that are common reasons or common things that keep people from the intimate relationship with Christ that he wants to have with us. So this is point number four in my outline. Um, in, if you're taking notes, is he had success. He made it to Christ. He had success. So what keeps people from having success, getting to Christ? Letter A, um, selfishness. Selfishness. So here, um, we read this story. Uh, he wouldn't let anything stand in his way. He in verse 51, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? By the way, that's the savior who's here tonight. I love this about Jesus Christ. What do you want me to do for you? He would come up to you and he'd actually be so tender hearted, right? He would take you by your chin and he'd look into your eyes and he'd ask you very humbly, very graciously, what do you want me to do for you? He responds to the prayers of his people. If you want Christ to be everything to you, you ought to tell him that tonight in prayer. Like he's here. What do you want me to do for you? I want you to work in my life to will and to do. I want you to work in my life so that I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I want you to reveal to me idols that are keeping me from intimacy with you. Like I want everything that you want for me. I want nothing that you don't want for me. That is such an appropriate prayer. You should tell him that. Well, earlier in Mark 10, um, look at verse number 35. Two other people come to Christ, right? These people are showing a passion for Christ too. In verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, same exact phrase, what do you want me to do for you? Then they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. That's self-exaltation in a context of ministry right? These are servants of God, but that's just blatant selfishness. It's an ugly heart in a religious context. Now I'll be as open and humble as I can possibly be, right? How much of my past service was really motivated by Scott DeGroff instead of Jesus Christ? And I'll give you my honest answer. I don't know. The Lord hasn't shown me. And honestly, I don't ask him to show me. I don't want to know. I know more than I would ever be comfortable with will burn. And I'm not suggesting that it will all burn. I'm not suggesting that it was a waste. I would never suggest that. But more than I would ever be comfortable with will burn. Because my Christian life, to such a large degree, I look back, I see it so clearly, to such a large degree, it was a Scott-driven life. Even in a religious context, it was a Scott-driven life instead of a Christ-driven life. And you see it right there. Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Self-exaltation. Boy, self self just kills, right? You could ask the Lord, show me my selfishness that that is killing me, my spiritual vitality. Letter B, um, contentment. Contentment. And that might sound a little funny because typically we think of contentment as a positive attribute, right? Contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
But what I mean is, is very simple, and it's this. Can you, so many Christians, in fact, the honest truth is most American Christians are content with far less than what God wants for them. So that's what I'm talking about. Content with far less than what God wants for you. And, and so you can see it clearly. First Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul says, you are already full. You're already rich. Already you have all that you want. They're content. They're content with less than what God has for them. You know what the Lord has shown me over these past years? I hit the lottery when I came to, to know Jesus Christ. I hit the $6 billion lottery when I came to know Jesus Christ. And I've been so content to live on 30 grand a year spiritually. I look back and I'm just saying, Scott, you idiot. Now, I don't mean to be ungracious. Like even with myself, I don't mean to be ungracious. But I'm just like, I mean, seriously, like I just say, you're so stupid. So stupid. So stupid. Right? I look back at my own life and I just think, why? Why? Like, like my service was genuine. I mean, I wasn't doing it for my glory. I know I wasn't doing it for my glory. I would serve him all day and I know him. Like I walk with him every day. I talk with him every day. He's the best friend I've ever had in my entire life. Like I really know him, right? I know him well enough to know that at the end of a day like that, he would look at me and he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, Come into the living room, sit down, have a cup of tea. We should talk. I want to love you. Come sit in the place where I love you, where I refresh you, where I pour into you. And I would say to the Lord over and over again, I would say, no, no, I'm good, right? I'll just stay out here in the servants' quarters. And I would do it, right? When I was younger, I would, I would go watch football. And then later I replaced football with something else, right? But he would draw me. I remember this so many times in my life. He would draw me. And I would say, no, no, I'm okay. And I would just choose to hold myself at a distance from him rather than walking intimately with him. Living on 30 grand a year when I hit the $6 billion lottery in Christ. There's so much more. There's so much more. Jeremiah 2, John 4, John 7, John 8, John 14, John 15, Philippians 3, Colossians 3, Revelation 3, Colossians 2. I mean, you just, you just, there's, the scripture just screams this. There's more for those that press on. There's more for those that seek. He's a rewarder of them that, that diligently seek him. Contentment, right? When it's content with less than what he has. Yeah, I couldn't stress this enough. Um, I think a simple, humble prayer of, Lord, I want everything that you want for me. I think he'll, he'll answer that in spades. He'll come through so royally for that kind of a prayer. I want everything that you want for me, for your glory. I want nothing that you don't want for me. I trust you to lead me into everything you want for me. I trust you to protect me from everything you don't want for me. And then he just takes that willing heart. By the way, I know him well enough at this point that I know when a, when a sheep comes to him, when a saint comes to him and says that, he's like, yes, Right? Like when I finally said, Lord, I want everything you want for me. I want nothing that you don't want for me. You're all I care about. You're all I want to chase, right? And when I finally said that, he was just like, yes, I've been waiting for this for decades, right? The worst thing that ever happened to me in my life is me. I look back, right? And it's me. It's just, ah, oh, right? Anyways, okay, letter C. They have a genuine desire for Christ, but they're not willing to forsake all. Letter C. They have a genuine desire for Christ, very genuine desire for Christ. These are good people. 
By the way, it's over a thousand. It's easily over a thousand people that I've seen the Lord change in North America in the past couple of years. And I mean radically change. We've got one great example here this weekend. But there's easily over a thousand people that the Lord is changing. And he's changing them all in the same way. Most of them are leaders amongst the people of God, which gives me such hope for the future. But he's, he's doing the same thing over and over again. These are all people that have a genuine desire for Christ, but the Lord brings them to the point where they recognize they're not willing to forsake all. And then they break. And I would cite Philippians chapter 3. You guys know the verses. I counted all things rubbish. That's present, or sorry, that's perfect tense. And then I continue to count, that's present tense, all things rubbish for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then last one, letter D, um, they just won't die to self. They won't die to self. So these are things I see very commonly that keep people from Christ. Selfishness, contentment with less than what God has for you, a genuine desire for Christ but not willing to forsake all, and then you won't die to self. And for that one, if you're taking notes, just jot down Luke 14, 33. So he who does not renounce all cannot be my disciple notice that it doesn't say so that he is not willing to renounce all the scripture doesn't say that it doesn't say he who is not willing to renounce all it says he who does not renounce all so we give it all to him right we're, we're willing to do anything he says willing to go anywhere he says and that it's a genuine stumbling block and it keeps people from intimacy with christ Blind Bartimaeus is a beautiful example. He had a passion for Christ and he came into so much blessing because of it. So, um, let's pray. Jamel, before I pray, do you want to, do you want to, um, do you want me just to kind of introduce the, okay. Okay, so I talked with Jamel and, and who talked with all of the elders before we ever set this up and we decided um, I love this, by the way. This is the way I think it ought to be done um, as a rule. This is the way it ought to be done, is that the word ought to be preached, and then there ought to be a time of prayer for the people of God to answer back to God. Um, and so we're going to do that now uh, for, say, is 10, 15 minutes good? Okay. And can I just ask you if you would close it at the end of that? Um, and so, yeah, we're going to do that all weekend, or, or at least Friday and Saturday we're going to do that. Like after each time, we're going to have a time for you to answer back to God. So let me pray, and then I'm just going to sit down, and it'll be your time to, to speak to the Lord. Father, we just want to commit to you um, this story. Blind Bartimaeus is a tremendous example. And so now, Lord, I've been praying all day, been burdened all day about this. Um, now, Lord, I just pray the same exact thing, that the spirit of power would move so omnipotently in this room that lives would be changed lord we we it'd be foolish to try to manufacture anything we would never do that we want to be genuine we want to be humble we want to trust you and this is this is um, the people of god's opportunity to talk with their god and so please cause us to pray in the spirit please have your perfect work in this auditorium lord i love these people i don't want them to be to make the same mistakes that i did I want them to learn these lessons at such a younger age than I did. Lord Jesus, you deserve a bride that is so passionate about time with you. You deserve a bride that, that um, where you're absolutely 100% preeminent. Um, I know that you will deal with idols this weekend. Um, Lord, I guess we just want to open the time up. Lead us on in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.